We are going to energize the country. Stop Brexit. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Seamus and not sure this is a great idea, is it? Order! Hello and welcome to the Debated Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Will, and I'm joined by my co-host, Conrad. Hello. And in this episode, we're delighted to be once again joined by a previous guest, uh, an activist for the Labour Party and for our future's sake, Nathan Baroda. Welcome back to the podcast, Nathan. Thanks very much, Will. Great to be back. Um, So to begin with, I'd like to ask, how did you initially react when you saw the exit poll? Yeah, just shock, devastation, uh, regret uh, about how this country's going. But look, it was a terrible, terrible moment for our party and and I believe our country. Um, When that exit poll came out, I mean, I was actually at one of the counts um, and just seeing the jubilation on the on the faces of those with, with blue rosettes and looking around to see my colleagues and friends, you know, devastated about the result. It was uh, it wasn't a nice evening, to say the least. So um, obviously the election has changed a lot of things. And um, one, one of those things is it means Brexit will happen now. The bills pass through the House of Commons. Um, what are your thoughts about this as sort of someone who's campaigned for a people's vote in the past yeah i mean obviously i quite like it to go to a, a referendum so that people can have their say on, on the deal in particular but i know that's not going to happen um although boris's uh, lack of principle is is extremely high and although he did make uh, the case for two referendums at the beginning of the campaign as did dominic cummings uh although he wrote two articles um that's not going to happen because that's the political reality and um, what i'd say now is look we need to you know get adjust and get ready for brexit as those famous signs said for the october deadline um and not just in terms of what we do in terms of food etc but it is a political reality as well um and obviously the, the extent to which you know we don't know the deal yet but the extent to which it is bad and the implications it has for the economy will then decide uh, the next step that we take our priority obviously has to be avoiding a sort of a hard brexit uh obviously that's a subjective term uh, at least for, for gb because of the implications that would have for, for jobs, workers' rights uh, and our economy. Um, if the way to do that is to advocate, you know, renegotiating the deal so it's a softer Brexit um, for all UK, then look, that's the priority. Um, and that's probably the best strategy to, to go for. Eventually, we will look to rejoining, obviously. Uh, but I think that's a, that's a 10, 15, maybe even 20 year project. Uh, and I don't think that's uh, likely in the foreseeable future. Do you think that the um, result for the Labour Party was more to do with its position on Brexit or do you think it was more to do with the manifesto or the leadership? What do you think was the, the root cause of the uh, the Labour Party's failure to, to win at the last election? Yeah, I mean, ultimately it was an issue of, of credibility um, and that ultimately rested on on one main issue which was a perception of jeremy corbyn now i don't believe that perception is a reality um you know people didn't believe he was competent people didn't trust him uh well to to, to varying degrees but there was an idea of of a lack of confidence and that perception is was i believe the reason that we lost uh in terms of the manifesto the manifesto is overwhelmingly popular particularly as individual policies i mean public ownership of of utilities um you know our, our green industrial revolution policy 
all these are individually popular. Obviously, when presented as a whole, that might not be seen as credible, but I think that's a separate issue. And I think it'd be a massive, massive mistake to try and go back from the 2019 manifesto, which made significant progress um, on the economy and on, on many issues. In terms of the Brexit policy, look, you know my, my views on that as an advocate for a people's vote and for Labour to, to uh, call for a people's vote. If I believed that like, ultimately I would be, you know, after this defeat, I would be humble enough to say I got it wrong. But I don't believe looking at the evidence that that was the case. Um, Labour obviously needed to have a Brexit policy um, and it was right ultimately to be advocated for a policy that we believe that the people should should have their say. The political implications of that, uh, people seem to be reading, you know, too much into results of constituencies, not understanding the ecological fallacy that that people who a, a majority in a constituency doesn't necessarily reflect the minority of Labour voters, um, and not even you know, the majority of Labour voters in every constituency in the country are Remainers, and that reality still exists now as it does when Labour made the decision. But ultimately, for the for it to be made the case that Labour's loss was the result of every second referendum policy. That would have what would have to be that would have to be evidenced by a reduction in support for the party when that policy was announced um, in July, and that absolutely wasn't the case. We were polling uh, in the mid twenties um, after a disastrous local and European election campaigns. It could be argued that those were distinct. Um, you know, particularly the European elections, people might use that as a process vote, and they might. But ever since that, then, um, our polling increased. Uh, I mean, you know, went nowhere near enough to win an election, but our position increased. So what I'm saying is a soft Brexit policy was not the direction to, to get a majority or to stop the Tories getting a majority. We had to pick a side. We didn't make that case convincingly enough. But I would argue that whatever case we made, the perception of our leader as incompetent was a far, far more potent thing. And that's what I picked up on the doorstep. Um, so obviously, as a result of the election, Jeremy Corbyn has triggered a Labour leadership contest. Um, we've just had the MP nomination and, and MEP. I don't know why they're still involved, seeing as there's mm. not going to have the job for much longer. But that nomination stage has just um, gone through. So there's five candidates left. Um, do you know who you are supporting yet? And if so, why? And if not, who are you sort of considering? Sure. So I'll be supporting Rebecca Long-Bailey. Uh, in this election, I think she's the best candidate to continue the the good things that the past four years have brought us, being a resolutely anti-austerity and anti-war party, particularly actually the movement to uh, a fantastic green industrial revolution policy that she wrote. Um, so in terms of the policies, in terms of the domestic and foreign policy, she's absolutely spot on. And look, she's identified where we need to change, particularly on, on the anti-Semitism. Um, she wrote a fantastic article. She signed up to the Board of Deputies' Ten Commitments, and her judgment has always been in the right place on, on this particular issue. And look, I think she is a person to reach out to those um, communities that voted to leave and, and in the so-called ex-red wall. Um, you know, Rebecca represents a Salford constituency. She gets it. She gets the issues that matter. Um, and also, you know, equally importantly, it'd be great to have a woman leader. I think it's frankly shocking that we haven't had a, a female leader despite being a party of equality and that needs to change at this leadership election um of course we won't just be seeing a uh, local leadership uh, contest we'll also be seeing a deputy uh, leadership mm. contest have you thought of who you're going to be supporting in that contest without a shadow of a doubt angela rayner um she's absolutely fantastic as, as our shadow education secretary um on grammar schools when she started but throughout um on moving uh, the times from 
uh, when university offers are given, she's led the agenda on education for the past three years, holding uh, respective education secretaries, including most notably Gavin Williamson, uh, to account. Uh, she's been fantastic in that. She's really the person to unite the party. Everyone likes Angela Rayner. Uh, she has a fantastic backstory and a, and a brilliant story to tell. She's brilliant in the media. So as you can tell, I, uh, I quite like Angela Rayner. <laughs> Um, what are your thoughts on sort of the other candidates running for Labour leader? What what sort of, I guess, mm. are there more, some that you'd mind less than others or are you 100% behind Reckon Bailey, like, and no, Reckon on Bailey or bust sort of levels? No, not, not at all. I mean, there's lots of talent across the Labour Party, uh, across the Shadow Cabinet, um, particularly Keir Starmer. Uh, I find him very convincing and I, I really like him to play a, a, an enormous role in in a hopefully Rebecca Long-Bailey administration. Uh, I think he's forensic. He's got a great attention to detail. Um, look, ultimately, I think the two characteristics that I'd like to change, I don't think it's particularly a policy disagreement, although I do disagree with some of the, his voting on, on the welfare bill, for instance. Um, and uh, remind me something else. Uh, I can't remember for now. But I think to have a Northern North London MP would be would be wrong, although he is an Arsenal fan, correctly. Um, and to have another man would be disappointing uh, at this time. Um, but look, I think he has a, a great role to play. Lisa Nandy, equally, was someone I, I, I've admired for years. Um, obviously, I disagree with her, you know, to a very large extent over the Brexit question. Perhaps that's been solved now, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm less convinced about her than I was, but, you know, I'll certainly be giving her a preference. Um Emily, Emily Thornbury, I'm not sure she'll be getting onto the ballot. A great media performer, but someone whose political judgment is perhaps suspect, um, particularly on you know on the issue of Lee versus that that famous tweet. Maybe we shouldn't hold that against her to her still. This whole Caroline Flint thing, which she says is, is nonsense and perhaps is, uh, but at least to her perception, as with Keir, about him sort of a North London-based party, we need to get out of that uh, and you know be at the heart of the regions. I'm not a particularly Jess Phillips fan, to be honest with you. Um, I think she's weak on detail, weak on policy, um, and and I'm not, you know, not very comfortable with some of your views on on transphobia uh, and some of the people that she's engaged with uh, during that debate. Um, so I'm particularly uncomfortable with that. But I would say, if I had to to rank them for you at the moment, it would be Rebecca number one uh, in terms of the preferences, uh, Sir Kirsten number two. Um, Lisa Andy three, Emily four. Um, what are your feelings about the deputy leadership contests? Is it that you can only support Angela, or do you feel that there are other candidates that, if they became uh, deputy leader, that you wouldn't mind? I mean, what, what are your feelings about uh, that particular race? Yeah, I mean, there's an absolute plethora of talent in the deputy leadership election, particularly Don Butler and Rosanna Allen Khan, are two fantastic Labour advocates. Uh, and two people that definitely should be should be in a future shadow cabinet, the future front bench. Um, I'm less convinced that Barrett should be. Um, I don't think he's he's very competent. I think he's a very good media performer, and his views on claiming that Zionism are the enemy of, of peace are, are anti-Semitic, mm. um, and his seeming non-apology for that. And also Ian Murray, I don't think I think is particularly divisive figure in the party. I think his conducts around um, the 2016 coup. Um, was suspect and I don't think he's the person to unite the parties as a deputy leadership role should be and, and always has been and for what it's worth I do think it's an important role um, and there was an attempt to get rid of it with the past incumbent but I do think it's the deputy leader has a massive role to play within the party 
So you mentioned um, Emily Thornberry possibly not getting on the final ballot because obviously there's still the stage of unions and CLPs nominating. Do you think that that's a fair way of of doing the leadership election, or do you think there could be changes in the um, in the process? I think it's about right to be honest. I think it balances um, having a wide range of candidates without having people who aren't you know who can waste time within that debate and not having too many candidates. Um, I think it gets it right because it has a balance between support within the parliamentary party, which is at a decent stage uh, of 10% uh, and allowed candidates from seemingly all factions of the PLP to get on the ballot. Um, equally, it's vital that, that candidates will have trade union support I mean, with a party of trade unions founded by them. Um, and it's, it's really important. And also in terms of grassroots activist support, um, I'm less convinced by that. I think it's vital within the final stage, and that's one number one vote is the right system to have. Um, but in terms of like CLP meetings, it's not necessarily accessible to all members. Not like everyone turns up, and it might not be a fair reflection. So, what I'd, if I was to make a tweak, I'm, I'm broadly happy with the system. If I were to make one tweak, it would just be that it would be PLP um, plus the unions and affiliates, of course, and socialist societies. Um, the CLP meetings to me seem a bit uh, hit and miss, and Ultimately, every member gets a say as a member, not just who turns up to a meeting in the final round. Um, what do you uh, think would be the direction that the Labour Party would go in if Rebecca Long-Bailey and Angela Rayner won their respective contests? Uh, what do you think that they would keep uh, as, as part of the, the, uh, the previous uh, Corbyn regime? What do you think that they'd um, change? Sure, I think the latter question is a lot easier easier to answer. And look, when you lose an election, it's, it's often quite tempting to say um, we got everything wrong. Equally, when you win an election, it's tempting to say we got everything right. Mm. Obviously, it's somewhere in between and it's a balance to be had. But I do think in terms of policy, we did get almost everything right. Uh, and it was the delivery and seeming credibility of that that was the issue, not the policy itself. So I'd be surprised if there were particular changes on that. Um, interestingly, a, a more constitutional policy, which hasn't really been focused on uh, in in public discourse for the past couple of years, is uh, House of Lords abolition. Um, a good policy from Rebecca Long Bailey over the weekend. Um, but in terms of differences, I think um, Rebecca signing up to the ten commitments is is very from the board of deputies is very strong, uh, and particularly the commitment to an independent disciplinary process is will have a huge impact. I feel. Um, on the Labour Party's complaint process, not just for anti-Semitism, but for, for all forms of discrimination, actually. Um, I think that will be a, a change of the culture of the party quite significantly. And, and also, I mean, to add to that, into not a, a policy point, but the fact we'd have two Greater Manchester leaders, uh, two women, would help to change the culture of the party um, out of what you know might be seen on, on the doorsteps as, as a London-based party. So um, funny you mentioned the um, abolition of the House of Laws thing. Actually, that might be one of the few Labour policies well, to be adopted that I might agree with. Fantastic. Um, Welcome to the movement, comrade. Um, <laughs> but um, so um, on on that um, the issue of um, of the the um, leadership um, in terms of how they might sort of position themselves. Do you think that Rebecca Long Bailey would be able to win an election? Yeah, um, I do. Or, 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 do you, or, I guess there's the other thing about maybe that they're too, Labour too far behind and they would need another election to sort of one to get, get halfway there and then sort of mm. another one to win. So I think because politics is so volatile at the moment, I do think we can do it in one election. If not, you know, 
I think we actually we've got a few more seats, not many, than the Tories did in 2005, uh, and they were able to obviously get into government via a coalition, which isn't ideal. But we're able to get into government at the next election, so it would be need a big swing, but it's it's very possible with with almost all those leaders that we'd be able to do that, particularly given the state of the economy. I mean, we're due a recession at some point soon, and uh, just given the state of the economic cycle, similar to the 2005 to 10 Parliament, that will obviously have implications for the government's ability. Um, to be re-elected, but also uh, if we do end up with a, a Canada-style Brexit, I think that would add to that. And look, Brexit voters aren't likely to say we got this wrong over Brexit, but what they are likely to do is, is blame the government's handling of it. Um, so I think the combination of the economic changes uh, just from the economic cycle plus Brexit uh, puts Labour in a decent position. I'm not denying the scale of it. It's, it's a, it'll be a huge task. But also, I mean, given um, a, f- a few seats in London, for instance, where the Lib Dems sort of 15 percent allowed the Tories to slide in over 40, uh, 40 with, with Labour on sort of 35. I think those seats, there'll be a different dynamic, like Chipping Barnard, for instance. They'll be a lot easier to take back and say the seat, well, uh, seats we were targeting at the beginning of the last parliament. Seats like Bolton West, which now are non-eaten. So once we need to get a majority with, with 8,000, maybe they would require a second election. You know, I'm not convinced, given the state of the vol- volatility of politics, that it necessarily would. Um, it's a big task, but I think it's certainly doable. Uh, you mentioned the coalition there and the state that the Conservative Party was in at uh, the 2005 election. If Labour was in a position at the next election to uh, form a coalition, is there any particular party that you would prefer to be in government with the Labour Party, the SNP, the Lib Dems? Uh... Yeah. Um, I'm obviously the Greens uh, would be my first preference, but mm-hmm. then I'm, they probably will stay with one seat. Uh, you know, as we discussed last time, well, I'm an advocate for a, a limited electoral pact with them. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd be happy to stand down for them in, say, the Isle of Wight uh, and help them maybe get a second seat uh, there. They're, you know, our closest ideological partners. There's issues there, uh, mm-hmm. but they're, you know, they're the party we're closest to. Um, if it's a straight choice between Lib Dems and SNP, it's like choosing between Liverpool and United to win the league. Um, whichever the maths work better with, um, probably the SNP, but there's not much in it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, as you mentioned, the SNP, um, they, they had a very strong election and um, they took up quite a few seats of Labour. Yeah. What do you think Labour has to do in Scotland to sort of win back seats there? Um, or do you think that almost the you should sort of concede to the SNP having Scotland and that their sort of demands for a second referendum on independence? So I have to be honest, I I don't know all the solutions with regards to Scotland. Uh, And I think we need to give a lot more, um, you know, credence to the views of what Scottish Labour members have to say. Um, I'd be open, for instance, to letting Scottish Labour become uh, an independent part of the Labour Party rather than what is characterised as as a branch office. Which I don't think is fair, um, but increasing the autonomy will never, ha- you know, won't harm that. Um, we seem to have tried almost everything. Um, you know, Blair is, is unpopular with them. Miliband, obviously, we had still had one MP, uh, and you know, similar with Corbyn. So the answers nationally don't seem to be, you know, when they change for us, they don't seem to be really answering the problems up in Scotland. Um, perhaps, and this is easier in theory than practice it will be shifting the debate from those constitutional questions um, to economic ones. And particularly, I think that will be easier with Brexit, given 
you know, we would have left by then. Um, the Scottish independence question is 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 a different one. Equally, that could be sorted by then. Um, but like, people will be born of it, and I think the the salience of Boris's get Brexit done message actually does allow us to to solve it's fertile territory to say enough with these constitutional questions let's get back to let's get back to the real issues that matter that was seen to win an election as i said easier said than done i mean to listen to to what scottish labour have to say more um just moving away from uh, the united kingdom and the labour party for a moment we're coming closer and closer again to the um uh, u.s presidential election and of course the uh, democratic uh, primaries will be starting soon what is your feeling about the current choice of um presidential candidate for the democrats are you optimistic about it how how are you feeling about it at the moment yeah i am optimistic that um that bernie sanders will do it uh, i think joe biden is declining i think that's a good thing uh, obviously is bernie's current debates with liz warren aren't ideal uh, they're both two good candidates um and but ultimately, I, I do think Bernie has the path to victory, uh, and I really think that's that's a great thing. And I would like to see him and him and Elizabeth Warren uh, reconnect and hopefully have her on the ticket. So, um, so obviously the the thing between Bernie and Warren, so people aren't, listeners aren't aware of it, um, the sort of stem around a, a disputed claim that Bernie may or may not have made that a woman cannot become president he claims he didn't say it Warren claims he did do you think a woman can become president or do you think society in America and other countries but America in this context is too sort of sexist to actually allow women to get to that position I mean it seems to me quite similar to the Caroline Flynn Emily Thornbury debate um but look I mean I'm not to deny the the impacts of, of sexism on politics I think we see that uh, very regularly with with perceptions of female politicians. I think Joe Swinson, uh, I'm not a fan of hers, but was a victim of that. Um, equally, you know, Rebecca Long Bailey has has been victim to that as well. With regard to the America case, I mean, look, they have a, a particular system, but let's not forget that the first female presidential candidate got a majority of votes. You know, she didn't win the presidency, of course, and that, and that's never going to be enough. But a majority of Americans did vote for a woman. Um, and I do think that Whilst it was an issue, um, Hillary Clinton could have won that campaign, uh, very much could have done. I think, you know, had James Comey not written a letter, um, then I think we would be that that question would be hypothetical, and we'd be talking about Hillary's second term. Um, speaking of uh, the potential of a, a second term, of course, uh, as we know, Donald Trump is likely to be the Republican nominee at the election. Um, how do you think the American politics and the American left would react if, regardless of who the Democratic nominee was, if Trump won a second term? How do you think that they would react to that? Yeah, with absolute sheer indignation uh, that we have here in Britain. Um, obviously, second terms do seem to be uh, common in the US, so I don't think they'll be much surprise, but you know, the reaction of the left would be... Would, of extreme disappointment and sadness that this guy has, has got over the line twice uh, and perhaps it's uh, an indictment of of the US I mean that this guy what what more does he have to do to not be 
you know, re-elected. What more does he have to say? Um, and I think, yeah, that would lead to a lot of, a lot of disillusionment. Um, obviously, it would depend on the context of, of you know, which states were lost. Um, you know, do, are we losing the, the Rust Belt again? Um, but look, I mean, with a, with a left candidate like Bernie, I think the case in the Rust Belt is a lot stronger. Uh, so I do feel more optimistic with a more left-wing candidate that we could actually challenge that and, and, and challenge the um, Trump winning in states like Ohio and Michigan, Wisconsin, etc. Uh, so I do think there is a path to victory. Um, but yeah, if Trump were to get elected, that would be that would be very very bad. Do you think there's um, parallels to be made between sort of um, Corbyn and Bernie Sanders as sort of two maybe old, older left wing, not party establishment candidates? And does that not is that not a warning sign to the Democrats maybe about his chances of winning elections? Seems what we've seen with Jeremy Corbyn. No, I think it's two entirely different contexts. I mean. You could say, in, in theory, that the US um, hostility to socialism, at least in theory, um, might make it even more problematic. But I actually don't believe that. I think it wasn't Jeremy Corbyn's socialism that lost us the election. Uh, it was far more ideas about, you know, the perceived link of terrorism, etc. Um, and for what it's worth, I do think Bernie is actually a more articulate politician. Uh, so he could perhaps make that economic case um, far more clear. Uh, obviously, the anti-Semitism issue, was it a big issue in, in the British election? Maybe, maybe not. But obviously, Bernie is a, is a proud Jewish socialist and can make that case very effectively, uh, particularly against a, a candidate who's as anti-Semitic as, as Trump. And I, I will say that Trump is anti-Semitic. Um, so I, I don't think the issues will be the same. Um, that, that being said, I mean, there was a possibility that Corbyn could have worked. Corbyn could have won an election here. It wasn't to be the case, but... As I said before, when we lose, we you know you can perhaps read too much into it. Ultimately, he didn't win twice, but that doesn't mean that the message wouldn't have done. And there's other contingent factors at play. Um, ultimately, we did loss, and that's an outcome. But in terms of the outputs that go in, I'm not convinced that necessarily a left wing case is is not right for victory. But equally, like what options do we have? Because look at Remain, look at Hillary Clinton, um, you know, look at the state of social democratic parties in Europe. The centrist case is not when it meets the a, a populist right is not is not faring well. Um, we're coming towards the end of the podcast. It's been great to have you on uh, again, Nathan, and to discuss the various issues that we have done. Uh, so I'd like to ask. We're recording this in January two thousand and twenty. It's a new year. It's a new decade. What new year resolutions have you made? You know, what? I actually haven't made any. Um, I, I can't think of one on the spot for you, but I do believe that, that time is a cultural construct uh, <laughs> and that we should be a, aspiring to to make change in all times of the year, not specific ones. Uh, so I do think that is that is kind of arbitrary, although very important to, to many people. If, if I was to go out of that thought, thought one on, on the spot, uh, if I was to give you one, it's be to, for Arsenal to improve under our new manager, Mikel <laughs> Uh, well, on that uh, somewhat philosophical note, it's been great to have you on again, and we'd be delighted to have you on the podcast at some point again in the future. Thanks very much, Will. Well, I hope you've enjoy- all enjoyed listening uh, to the podcast. If you'd like to follow us, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, uh, Podbean, and YouTube. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do at Debated Podcast, and if you'd like to 
get in touch with us, you can do at thedebatedpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you listen to the next one.